So this morning, like Pia said, we're going to continue our conversation and we're going to look at a very specific conversation uh, that Jesus had with a young man. Uh, and this conversation takes place in Mark 10. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Mark 10. We're going to look at the conversation between Jesus and the rich young man. And this young man is approaching Jesus for a very specific reason. He's approaching Jesus to ask Jesus a question. Now, before we read about his question, I want you to think about this idea. If you had the privilege or the opportunity this morning to ask Jesus any question, what would it be? If you, like this young man, face Jesus this morning, just ask Jesus anything, what would that be? What would you want to ask God? And maybe just in like 10 seconds, share with the person next to you, what would be your question towards Jesus? What's that thing in your heart? So I wish we had time that we can go around the room because I think there will be some amazing questions. All of us are at different seasons in our life and different places and, and different things that we've gone through. And, and maybe just listening to each other, we'll hear different questions, different answers that we're seeking from Jesus. But this young man comes to Jesus with something specific and we're gonna read that together. Before we do, let's pray for God's word. So Father God, we thank you. We're always thankful for your word. Always thankful that you not just give us a set of instructions, but that you've given us a word that is alive and active and powerful, that can change our lives, that can speak to us in any season of our lives, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we wanna invite you in this moment that you would come and enlighten your word. I pray that you would speak to every person's heart individually. And Lord, may you make your word alive and active. Lord, I even pray that in this moment, that if there's some of us that have neglected your word or lost faith in your word, that you would restore it. You would come and speak to us through your word. I pray for the authority of your word, Lord. May it be in line with your perfect will this morning. And may we not deviate from the truth that you wanna convey this morning. I pray this and ask this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're gonna to read together. It's quite a lengthy, a couple of scriptures. You can follow me as I read on the, in the ESV translation. And it starts off in verse 17 saying, and as he was sitting, this is Jesus, out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, 
go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then how can we be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What a great conversation. There's so many things happening here. Uh, Have you ever watched a movie and when the movie is done, you're you're like, what? What happened here? How how can this thing end here? And you're you're, you're confused. You're, You're almost like, you don't understand what's happening here. Why would they end the movie here? One of those movies for me is Inception. Have you, have you seen Inception? I'd just love if you can give me an indication. Any of you seen Inception? Those who haven't seen it, there's a small spoiler coming now. But in the end, well, the movie itself, it's like just figuring out what's happening where. And then in the end, there's got this little spinner spinning on the table, and the movie just ends. And I'm like, no, no. And I imagine that's how these disciples feel now. Because when that movie ends, I, I, I almost went back and I have to look at it again and again and again, just to, oh, and now you start to see, oh, this is what's happening, and this is some of the smaller detail, and you get a bigger understanding of a better understanding of why the movie ends like it ends but I imagine these disciples have that feeling now imagine here's this young man approaching Jesus he's someone of influence if we look at some of the other accounts of this conversation in the other gospels we read that he was a leader as well in that community so here comes a young influential leader with wealth towards Jesus and he asks a sincere question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if you're a disciple and you're strategic, you're thinking, if we can get this guy, if he can join us, now we'll change this community. Now we'll have impact. Now people will start to notice. But up, because up until this stage, there were a couple of fishermen following Jesus. But if this guy, Jesus, this is the gap. And just, Jesus doesn't do it. And I imagine Peter turning to John and it's like, what happened? What, what did Jesus do? This might be a really, really awkward moment. But if you look at all the conversations that Jesus had with people, Jesus aren't afraid of awkward moments. Would you agree? He's the instigator of awkward moments. So almost like a movie, we're going to look at this conversation again and pay a little bit more attention 
to the details of this conversation so that we can get a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to say to this young man, but also in getting a better understanding because we don't just want to grow in knowledge. We don't just want to know more. We want to create an opportunity where God can have a conversation with us. And giving more intention to Jesus' words, we might open up our hearts to allow Jesus to speak to us this morning. Is that fine? So let's look at the scripture again. Let's revisit what's happening here. So here's this young man, already mentioned, of influence, leadership, wealth, that comes to Jesus and he kneels in front of Jesus. Imagine this. In front of all the other people, in front of all the disciples, this man comes and he kneels down in front of Jesus. And he, and he says, good teacher, it's clear in the way that he's approaching Jesus that he's got some form of reverence and honor towards Jesus. He kneels in front of him and then he asks what we would consider as a really noble question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And sincere, or we might think it's sincere. Question. And then Jesus just responds in, in an absurd way. Jesus responds in an, an unexpected and confusing and very intriguing way. Here's this young man kneeling in front of him. And what does Jesus say to him? Why do you call me good teacher? I think this was the last thing that this young man expected. Why do you call me good teacher for only God is good. Think about this. Surely Jesus is not saying in this moment that he is not good. So what is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus responding towards this young man and asking him the question, why do you call me good? No one is, except, is good except God alone. I believe that if nobody is good except God alone, and this young man knows this, and he still chooses to call Jesus good. Then he's acknowledging that Jesus is God. And Jesus is, is, is probing, Jesus is testing, does this young man believe that he is God? In saying, why do you call me good teacher? It's almost like Jesus is asking him, do you really believe that I am God? Do you really believe this? And I just think this is so confrontational. Each one of us, somewhere in our lives, needs to answer this question. What do we believe about Jesus? And do we really believe that he is God? Because the way that you think and believe about Jesus, your understanding of Jesus will determine the way you live your life and respond to Jesus. And we're gonna see how this young man and his understanding of Jesus has led him to a way that he responds to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't give him an opportunity to answer. Jesus just goes on and continues to speak to him and continues to answer his question. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. 
do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear witness. And then Jesus names these commandments. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you would know that these commandments come from um, Exodus 20. Exodus 20. And, and, and these commandments are form part of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is only mentioning a certain part of the commandments. Jesus is only mentioning the second part of the Ten Commandments, the commandments that's dealing with how we should live towards other people, how we should act towards other people. And Jesus is deliberately leaving out the first part of the commandments. And if you're familiar with this, you would know that the first part of the commandments is all about God and how we should act towards God. You should love the Lord your God. You should have no idols. You should worship no other God. You should keep the name of the Lord in content, or not in content. You should uh, keep the day holy where you dedicate that day towards God. It's about God and the worship of God and no idols. And Jesus deliberately leaves that out. Why? See, sometimes Jesus says something without saying it. And if you're asking a question towards Jesus and Jesus is maybe not giving you the answer or you're not hearing that what you're expecting, maybe you should ask the question, what is Jesus not saying? Because in not saying it, not naming these commandments, Jesus is saying something to this young man. Jesus is challenging something in this young man's life. Now, can you start to pick up something, what's happening here? Why do you call me good? Do you really believe that I'm God? Then not naming the first set of commandments, that's all about God. And, and how does this young man respond to Jesus? He says, teacher, teacher. Do you notice that the good has fallen away? And here for the first time, we, we get a glimpse of what's really happening and what's really this young man's understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And he goes, okay, teacher. This young man does not view Jesus as God at all. Then he goes further and he says, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I've kept all these commandments. Now, to the parents in the room, just a side note, wouldn't it have been great to have him as a child? Huh? Think about this. From his youth, he's kept all the commandments. That's easy parenting. It would have been a joy. I don't know how many of you have got teenagers. I don't have teenagers yet, but I'm already in intercession prayer for that moment. And this young man says, from my youth, I've kept the commandments. I haven't lied. I haven't stealed. I haven't done all these other things. What a great teenager. What a great human being to have in your house. But think about the confidence that he has. 
say to Jesus, I've kept all the commandments. For us, standing on the outside of this conversation, looking in, can you think what's happening here? Son of God, standing there in front of him as a young man, and this young man comes to Jesus and he says, basically, my life is perfect. Jesus knows it. What's remarkable about this conversation is that usually when people came to Jesus and usually when people approaches Jesus, they come with a specific need. They come with a, there's a sickness or a disability or there's a pressure, there's a situation that Jesus has to fix and, and they come to Jesus with a need, but this young man doesn't come to Jesus with a need. And it's important to notice in this conversation that because there's not a need, Jesus is now going to address something else in his life. See, sometimes we're so caught up in only speaking to God with our, in, in terms of our needs that we sometimes miss what God wants to speak to us. And I want to encourage us that there'll be times in our lives where we just be quiet and allow God to speak. And don't just come with needs. But this young man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? I've done all these things. In this moment, can you imagine standing in front of Jesus? In this moment, you said, Jesus, I've done all of this. How do you hope, or what do you hope does Jesus say to you back? What do you hope Jesus is gonna do now? Let's be realistic in this moment. You're standing in front of Jesus. You've said, I've done everything that Jesus now said. What do you hope Jesus says to you back? I'm just honest, if it was me, I would have at least hoped for a well done. Well done, well done, Jono. Come on, my boy, Key. I'm so proud of you. Just persevere. I think that's what I would have expected. To be encouraged, to find a form of approval. And, and, and this, is, this is like a, a child, a young child, asking his parents for constant approval. Our four-year-old is constantly shouting, Papa Kokaiki, Dad, come and look, look what's happening here. Look what I'm doing. He's climbing up on things and he's jumping off things and he's constantly asking us to be audience to what he's doing because he, he wants to find a form of approval. That's how we're created. As children, and all of us are children, we seek approval from those who are put in our care. Who we've been putting into care. Our parents. We seek that approval. And here's where all of us can relate to this young man. Because all of us seek some form of approval. See, when this conversation started, some of you thought, ah, oh, I don't know if there's anything in me that can relate to this young man. Because, Jonathan, I don't know if you've seen my bank account, but I'm not rich or young. But all of us seek approval. 
And in this moment, all of us can relate with this young man. All of us seek approval. All of us want to, to, to feel we belong somewhere, that our lives mean something, that we are loved by someone, that we are valued, that our lives matter, that we're not wasting our lives, and that we're making it in life. I believe all of us desires God to say that over our lives. We're done. But that's not how Jesus responds. And Jesus is now gonna respond in such a way that Jesus is not gonna say what this man is hoping for. And Jesus is not gonna say what this man thinks he deserves to hear. Jesus is gonna say what this man needs to hear. And sometimes God doesn't give us the answers that we seek. Sometimes God doesn't give us the answers that we think we deserve. Sometimes God doesn't give us the answers that we're hoping for. But we can have confidence that God will always give us the answers that we need. And Jesus is gonna use this opportunity not just to, to glance over what's happening in this young man's life. He's gonna use the opportunity to speak into this young man's life and give him an answer that he needs in this moment. Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's my favorite part of the scripture. Jesus loved him. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Jesus, knowing what's happening in this young man's heart, knowing what's going on, uh, this young man standing in front of Jesus, Jesus knowing what he's about to say to him, yet he loved him. Jesus loved him enough that Jesus was willing to speak to him that what he needed to hear. There's moments in my children's lives with this, this youngest one, uh, Pierre and Elena, I've experienced him. He's just, he's got so much energy. He's constantly busy, constantly climbing up uh, on stuff. And he has got no sense of his real age. So the things that his nine-year-old brother is doing, he's attempting. And he's calling us to come and look at us. And it's, it's incredibly cute and beautiful. And I'm so proud of him for doing that. But you know, there's some things that he does that's really, really dangerous. And as a parent, there's seasons where I have to go, well done, but there's moments where I have to go, don't you ever do that again. Not because I want to be mean, but because I love him. This is one of those moments. The motivation behind Jesus' confrontation of this young man is love. Jesus is not forcing something. He's not manipulating something. But Jesus loved him enough that he gave him the answer that this man needed. So when we receive answers that we didn't hope for, can we choose? Can we choose to say that this answer is the one that I need? And that God loves me that God is good and that he's got his best intentions for my life. 
Because you will sometimes hear God speak into your life. But knowing that he is good, he's loving, he's faithful, and he's got his best intentions when he says this to us. So what does Jesus say to this man? You lack one thing. It's not well done. It's not congratulations. It's not I'm proud of you. You lack one thing. You're not making it. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what is this one thing? What is this one thing that Jesus is referring to? And this is the pivotal moment of this conversation. This is the moment where the disciples goes, <gasps> you lack one thing. And at first glance, we might say, well, it's obvious, it's money, but, but I wanna suggest this morning that it's not money. It's something deeper. It's something different. See, up until this moment, Jesus is exposing his heart, showing this young man that you do not really believe that I'm God. You are not loving the Lord your God above everything else with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And now the ultimate invitation towards this young man, will you choose to follow me? Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And this is the moment that Jesus exposes or shows what's the real problem in this young man's heart. What's the real problem in this young man's life. Because this young man had the posture of worship. He kneeled in front of Jesus. He had the words of worship good teacher, he even had acts of obedience, of worship, of religious obedience. But his heart is far from God. He's doing all the right things, he's saying all the right things. Imagine, this is the guy, he goes to church, he's learned the Christian language, the Christian way of talking, he's even doing certain habitual things, but his heart is far from God. And all of us need to ask this question, where's my heart? Is my heart still close to Jesus? This is not a once-off moment. It's a continual, am I close to Jesus? Is my heart with God? Or is there something else? Because there's something else has captured this young man's heart. Something else has taken a control over his heart. Something else has has grasped him something else is ruling over his heart and something else is owning him something else is determining the way that he lives A.W. Tozer said every person has a cross and a throne in their heart what sits, on the cro- what sits on the throne will rule your life and what hangs on the cross is what, will, what you're willing to sacrifice. There's a throne and a cross in every person's heart. What sits on the throne will rule your life. What hangs on the cross is what you're willing to sacrifice. Money sat on the throne of this young man's heart. 
Money ruled over him. Money determined the direction of his life. And money owned him. What was this young man willing to sacrifice for the thing that's sitting in in the throne of his heart? See, if we think, let's use the example of money. If money sits on the throne of your heart, there will be certain things that you sacrifice in your life. It might be your family, it might be your time, it might be your talents, it might be so many things that you sacrifice for this thing, money. In this young man's situation, the thing that he was willing to sacrifice was Jesus himself. So often as Christians, we want Jesus to be part of our lives. We invite him into our lives. We we want to experience the blessings of Jesus. We want to have all the great gifts that we find in him, a new life. The life that we received when Jesus died on the cross, hang on the cross. And we're thankful for those things, but, but, but we're still sitting on the throne of our hearts. And if we really be honest, if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, we're in a place of self-worship where even it's all about what Jesus can do for me. But we need to realize that Jesus didn't stay on the cross, that Jesus died and went to hell and defeated death and was raised by God and given by God the rightful position at the right hand of God where he's been given all authority in heaven and earth and he's now the rightful ruler. And we have to decide, get off the throne. Say, Jesus, this is your rightful place. If we're sitting on the throne, what's left for Jesus? The cross. But if we get off the throne and we say, Jesus, this is your rightful place, what's left for us? The cross. Matthew 16, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself and take up his cross. Die to self. See, Jesus is actually addressing a much bigger issue in this young man's life than just money. He's addressing lordship. What owns your heart? And we need to ask ourselves, what owns my heart? What has captured my heart? What is owning my life? And it can be anything. It can be money, but it can also be fear. It can also be your good works. But all of us can be captured by something. We constantly need to ask ourselves, is Jesus the Lord of my life? To make it tangible this morning, I want to suggest three things about lordship. Because sometimes we hear lordship as this set of rules that we have to obey. This young man obeyed rules and he missed it. His heart was far from God. So what is lordship? Well, firstly, Lordship is about the attitude of our hearts. It's a decision that we have to make. It's a decision that all of us have to make daily, regardless of where you are in your walk with God, how long you've been a Christian, or if you're a Christian, what you know about the Bible and what you don't know. It's a decision that we have to make, that we remind ourselves every day of our lives that this life is not about me. 
It's not about me. We're not into self-worship. It's about God. It's about something way bigger than myself. And the, the best thing that I can do in my life, because there will be a moment where it ends, is to live such a life that it matters in God's story, not in my story. It's not about me. And because it's not about me, I don't wanna obey rules, I wanna honor God. I wanna honor God in my marriage. I wanna honor God in my friendships, in my relationships. I'm gonna be faithful in marriage. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna forgive where it needs to be forgiven. I'm gonna not speak about people, but I'll speak to people. I won't gossip because I honor God. I'm gonna honor God with my money. I'm gonna honor God with my time. I'm gonna honor God with my body. Not because I must, but because it's not about me. A decision, it's an attitude of our hearts. It's not about me. The second thing is lordship is about what you value. Jesus invited this young man to come and follow him and he will have treasures in heaven. This young man valued earthly possessions above heavenly blessings. When we say lordship is about what we value, we submit our value system to the value system of God. And we say, Jesus, whatever you value, I'll value. And we change our earthly perspective to an eternity perspective. It's not about here and the now. And as, a, as people, we have to be so careful to be captured in this thing where there's instant gratification in society where we want what we need immediately now. Lordship tells us to turn our eyes away from the here and the now into eternity, to have an eternity focus and to value things that will matter in eternity, and therefore we do stuff in this life for eternity. Now friends, this is difficult because this means that in this life, God will not always give you everything that you want. It's unloving. As a dad, I cannot give my children everything they want. It means that in this life, you will not always receive healing. You will not always receive blessing. You will not always receive a solution to that problem because Jesus said in this life, you will face difficulties. But you will, if you can honor me in those situations, if you can go through those situations, my grace will be enough to carry you through the situations because there's a future hope of an eternity where there will be no more sickness where there will be no more shortage, where there will be more than enough, where there will be more than enough love, and we're gladly looking forward to that moment because in heaven, we'll stand in front of a father that goes, well done, my good and faithful child. This life is not about me, and I live with a, a value of eternity, not about now. And the last thing, lordship is about what you're willing to submit to you're willing to follow. And submission has become such a, a bad word in society. People don't wanna, wanna speak about submission. It, it sounds like oppression. But submission simply means I'm willing to align myself under a different mission. Submission. It's something else that's more important. It's me saying, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And I want to suggest this morning, there's two things that makes people submit. Either it's you're overpowered and therefore you submit. So there's something stronger and it sort of forces you in submission. Or there's something that you trust, that you say, I trust this enough that I'm willing to submit under it. Ladies, you don't want to be in a marriage where you submit under power. You want to be in a marriage where you know you're covered. If we place anything else on the throne of our hearts, we're saying, I'm trusting this more than Jesus. I'm putting my faith and my hope and my joy in this thing where God invites us. He doesn't overpower us. He invites us to say, trust me. And if you trust me, submit and follow me. So how does this apply to us today? All of us have things that competes for the throne of our hearts. And all of us needs to ask ourselves, where's my heart? What's ruling my heart? What's sitting on the throne of my heart? Don't want to be a people that's got the right posture of worship, words of worship, and act of worship, but our hearts are far from God. So this morning, friends, can we quiet our souls? Can we not ask God something? Can we just allow him to continue the conversation with our hearts? Can we ask God, God, I love you and I trust you. Would you show me what's ruling my heart? Would you show me where's my heart? Let's close our eyes. And the invitation that Jesus made to this young man is still the same invitation to each one of us. If you see or you realize this morning that there's something else that's ruling your heart, Jesus says, leave that behind and follow me. And it's so simple. You can just go, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've allowed this thing to rule my heart. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? place you on the rightful throne of my heart, rightful position. Choose to submit, choose to acknowledge it's not about me, it's about you. Let me learn to love what you love and to value what you value as I choose to follow you. It's in this moment, just allow God to speak to your heart.